Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello everyone, Dave here. I just wanted to apologise for the rather sporadic nature of the uh, podcast over the last couple of weeks. I've been massively slammed with stuff from Comic Con, which you can now find on the YouTube channel, which is of course youtube.com forward slash geek town. But I'm also away in America at the moment, so getting people together to get the podcast done has been a little bit problematic. So this week I'm going to put up a behind the scenes podcast. I am back at the end of the month. I'm back in the UK. We will be kicking off the return with the Geek Town Awards podcast as well. So uh, the big competition that we run every December, we will be running that from the first episode when I'm back there as well. So uh, hopefully might get some other interview podcasts going up as well. But this one is an episode of the Geek Town Behind the Scenes podcast. And I'm chatting with a really interesting guy. He's fascinating, award-winning Hollywood editor and producer zach arnold zach is an editor on netflix's smash hit series cobra kai however he's also the founder of optimize yourself it's a brilliant podcast series which you can find at optimizeyourself.me it's also a coaching program as well which is designed to help creative professionals get through their working lives without having to sacrifice their health their relationships and their sanity in the process he was really interesting to talk to we do talk a lot obviously about cobra kai and he's editing for that that was a really interesting story of how he kind of got involved with it because he was a massive fan of the karate kid films so he actively pursued the editing gig on Cobra Kai after watching the first season. In the interview, we discussed quite a lot how his love and encyclopedic knowledge of the movies actually helps him with the editing process on the Netflix drama as well. His other credits outside of Cobra Kai include things like Empire, Burn Notice and Glee. We also chatted a little bit about a really interesting documentary film he made called Go Far, the Christopher Rush story, which was about a friend of his. He directed that and we we talk a little bit about that as well it's a really interesting interview this one it's well worth listening to if you want to hear more behind the scenes interviews don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast by searching for geek town radio this will also give you our weekly geek town radio podcast that brings you the latest tv film and gaming news you can also go to the website at geektown.co.uk for daily news stories and all the latest us and uk tv premiere dates As I say, uh, it's going to be a bit sporadic for the next couple of weeks, but we will be back at the end of the month. We'll be back to normal shows. We will be launching the Geek Town Awards as well, so keep an eye out for that. But in the meantime, here is the interview with Zach Arnold. (laughs) 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So thank you for coming on and spending a bit of time to chat through your work and your various stuff with me. Uh, Cobra Kai, of course, is the big thing that you're working on as an editor, but you've got a whole bunch of other things going on as well, which we'll get to. So I know you've spoken a little bit about this before on various different shows, but well, before we get into actual Cobra Kai itself, how did you get into the editing? Yeah, first? so originally I got into editing at a very, very young age. Uh, I was about nine years old, and this was way back in the day of VHS camcorders. And, uh, you know, this is before the internet and YouTube and iPhones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my older brother had come home with a brand new VHS camcorder, and he said, let's run around the house and let's make a movie. Like, ah, okay, like it really wasn't my thing at the time uh, and we ran around the house all weekend basically chasing each other with our nintendo guns from the game duck hunt like just you know, <laughs> doing all this fun stuff um not a whole lot of story involved and at the end of the weekend i said that sucked that was really boring and it was really hot and it was tedious and we only have like a few minutes of stuff after all that work didn't like it at all however a couple of weeks later he came back and he had taken exactly what we had shot he had cut it together and he had scored it with music from the good the bad and and the ugly and it was the coolest thing i had ever seen in my life my jaw dropped and i said how did you do that and that was the beginning of my just you know absolute obsession with editing and from that point on i had two vcrs and i was hitting play on one and recording the other and i was making highlight tapes of my favorite movies and i was shooting my own uh, films with my friends for years and years by the time i was a sophomore in high school i already had started a business where i was editing things for local businesses and for <laughs> my high school sports teams. And then in college, I uh, went to college at the University of Michigan and learned film studies. And every second that I wasn't writing papers about films like Potemkin and Citizen Kane for the 12th time, I was in the edit suites learning all the software. So it's I've essentially been enamored with the process of storytelling and putting the pieces together since I was nine years old. Wow, that's incredible. And Cobra Kai, which this was a show, it's fair to say, I think you were a fan of before you actually got to it. And it was it was one that you actually went out and actively chased, I believe. Yes, I was very, very specific and strategic about working on the show. The reason being that if we also rewind way back to even before I was nine, when I was a kid, Karate Kid was my Star Wars. All of my friends were enamored with Star Wars. And I think at the time it was right after Return of the Jedi had come out and they had all the action figures and the movies. And I just I didn't get it. I have no problem with Star Wars. I think it's amazing. It's just not my thing. But when the Karate Kid came out, I was obsessed. I mean, like I was beating up my mattress and like I was learning (laughs) the crane kick and it was totally my thing. And it became very influential on who I became both as an adolescent and an adult where I've been very active in martial arts and now American Ninja Warrior doing all of these things that are very much influenced by that film. So essentially the way that this all worked out is when uh, the original season one of Cobra Kai came out, most people probably know this, but for those that don't, it was actually a little tiny show on YouTube. Yeah. And it had just released the whole season, 10 episodes on YouTube. And I just saw one of those banner ads that said trailer for Cobra Kai. And I was like, what is this? Oh my God, this is going to be 
the dumbest thing ever. How dare they? How dare you take my childhood and you ruin it? Because frankly, a lot of people have done that to other properties from the 70s and Absolutely. the 80s. So yes, I was terrified. So I watched the trailer and I'm thinking, OK, so this doesn't look horrible. So I'm just I'm going to hate watch the pilot. I'm just going to hate watch the pilot so I can, you know, just confirm all my suspicions. How dare they? Like everybody else on the planet, I watched the pilot and I was completely and totally sucked in. I watched the entire first season in one sitting and I had other things to do that day, but I just stopped everything and I watched the whole season. And at the end of it, I looked at the screen and I said, I am cutting this show. There is no question in my mind that if there was ever a show on the planet that I was made to edit, this is the one. So I started the research process and looked to see if I can find anybody at all that I had a connection with. And it took me a few hours of really digging through the depths of IMDb. But I found one name of one producer that worked on the show for like a month or two that I had worked with years ago, sent them a message and said hi, and uh, eventually made a connection of a connection and got myself in the room for the interview. And and essentially talked myself uh, into the job in the room. <laughs> wow. So that was from season two onwards then you. you, you yes. Yeah, so I started us. the beginning of season two and I've been on ever since. Wow. Yeah. Coming to something like that and being such a huge fan of it. I mean, that that really must have been your dream gig. It really was a dream gig. And the, the one challenge that comes with it is that and I've had this experience before on other shows, specifically the, the first breakout uh, hit that I worked on was Burn Notice. Yes. And I came in to that show season four and I was a big fan of it before that and what sometimes happens is that once you see everything happening behind the curtain you become a little bit less of a fan because it kind of loses its mystique mm -hmm. and I will say that there, there's a little bit of that with Cobra Kai but there are still days even four years into it having uh, just finished season five um, even working on season five there are still moments where I'm cutting scenes saying I'm working with Billy Zabka and Ralph Macchio like when exactly did this happen um, <laughs> but at the same time once you see all the the raw takes and how they break down the fight scenes. And I'm the guy that has to figure out how to put all the pieces together. And sometimes the pieces don't go together. Um, it loses a little bit of its mystique, but it has so much of it that it certainly doesn't lose all of its luster. Yeah. It's gone from being, like you say, this little sort of YouTube show that YouTube kind of went, Oh, well, but yeah, it's fine. You can, yeah, we'll let you go. You can go and find somebody else to air it. We're not doing this sort of stuff anymore mm -hmm. and landed on Netflix and just exploded into this enormous thing. The fan following around it is, is absolutely phenomenal. So what is your approach to it? I mean, what's your sort of process of working through an episode of it? Yeah, so essentially the way that it works for anybody that has never uh, seen the process from the inside is that as they're shooting, we are editing. Some people think that when they're shooting, like they shoot the whole season or whatever it is and we get it. But whatever they're shooting on a Monday, I'm getting on a Tuesday morning and they shoot in Atlanta. I'm in Los Angeles, but with all the Internet technology, they can get it to us within hours. Mm -hmm. um, so as they're shooting, I'm cutting and I'm just watching all of the raw dailies. And on this show, lots and lots of raw dailies. Like there will just be some days where we get five, six, seven, even 10 hours of raw footage for one scene. Um, and I have to go through and sift through all of it and cut it all together. So that's kind of the the basic stuff, kind of the, the bare bones uh, machinations of it. But as far as my uh, more specific and creative approach to it, um, it's very, very important that we're honoring the original series. 
Mm-hmm. One of the reasons that a lot of the reboots of uh, very valued properties don't work is because they don't understand what worked about the original property. And then they try to turn it into something different. <laughs> and I take a little bit of responsibility for it, but most of it really goes to the three showrunners. They're the ones that protect the integrity of the original series. But as an editor, I also have to make sure that my choice of music or the way that I cut a scene or a sequence, like I don't want to introduce all these new crazy fangled techniques that don't feel like they belong in the world of the Karate Kid or Cobra Kai. Um, And another really, really important thing that we have to do as editors is a lot of times when you see the flashbacks that go to the original property in the series, those weren't written in. Sometimes they were, but sometimes when I'm cutting a scene, because I've seen the original so many times, I'll just, there'll just be a line of dialogue and an image flashes in my head. I'm like, oh, this reminds me of this one scene from the Karate Kid one. And because I have that library in my brain, I can pull that back in there. So a lot of that is just, the fact that I'm such a fan and I've literally memorized those films, specifically the first one, it's very easy for me to recall what would be the best fit. But it's always about how do we protect the integrity of the mythology first, but then also how do we update it? Because it certainly didn't have all the the heavy metal rock music and wasn't from Johnny's point of view in the original. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really difficult. Um, and I think we we walk the line pretty well, but it's very difficult to both honor the original series, but make the, the 2020 version of it that feels updated. So that's always our challenge. And we're always working on that with every single scene. Yeah, you can see that. I mean, there is a there is definitely a love in there from everybody that works on the show. I've interviewed a couple of other people, uh, Hero and Janelle, who mm-hmm. are the stump guys and and um, Phil McGowan, who I think is the score mixer for it. Or, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, I, and they all have this, this huge love for the franchise and the and the, the series. How much control do you get as the editor in this? I mean, you know, because you're, you're working with various directors and I think there were a couple of editors just that work on the show as well. There's so, three of us, yeah. It's yeah. a three-editor rotation. So when you're working with kind of different directors each time and keeping that consistency, how much control do you actually get? Because presumably it's not just like, here's a bunch of stuff. Uh, you know, so where, do, where does that all fit together? Sure. I mean, as, as far as the editorial process, we have complete and total control. Um, there's very, very, if any, micromanaging of the process until we start getting into notes. So I've never been on a show before where up until I deliver an editor's cut, I don't hear anything from anybody. They just have complete and total trust. And they're essentially saying, you give me what you think is the best version. And then I'm going to give you a bunch of notes. We can get to what is a, a your vision plus our shared vision. And we can find the, the best version with all of our various ideas integrated. Um, but on most uh, TV shows that I've done in the past, or most feature films that I've done in the past, you'll sometimes get pages and pages and pages. Well, after watching the the dailies or after shooting the scene, I think we should do this, 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 that, and the other thing. And that really hampers the the creativity of the editor in their first pass. I feel that if you're going to hire somebody in that role, you need to trust them in that role. Mm-hmm. And we're never bothered. Like I really was, there were a couple of times where you literally pick up your phone and you're like, does this thing still work? Like <laughs> nobody's calling me, nobody's sending me emails or just letting me cut. So it's a pretty amazing freedom. But then um, by the same token once we start working with the showrunner specifically they know exactly what they want they're very detailed detail oriented and they are perfectionists mm-hmm. to the nth degree so we are workshopping endlessly for months and months to get uh what they believe is the the perfect version of that episode so during that process obviously there's a little bit less freedom because 
you're working towards their vision. Um, but I feel that uh, for every every portion of the story or the tone or the pace where the editor has influence, we have complete and total control. Obviously, I can't change the words that they say or the scenes that they're set in or the general storyline. All of that credit goes to the writers. Yeah. Um, but anything that is within the control of an editor, we are given complete freedom. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that is rare for something like that. And I mean, with it being a Netflix show rather than a network show, what are the time pressures like? Because I mean, I know network particularly can be horrifically fast in terms of its turnaround. Is that easier with a Netflix series? I'm not going to use the word easier. I'm going to say it's simpler. And what I mean by that, because simple and easy are two very different concepts. Mm -hmm. It's simpler because in the world of network, you're always up against an air date. So there's only so much time to get things done. And when you feel like you're not going to meet that deadline, it just means that you need to work more hours, whether it's late nights, whether it's weekends. I've been on shows where I've been on a mixed stage on a Friday and what we were watching was going to be on the air the next Wednesday and we had to make editorial changes. Like I've (laughs) I've been in that situation where it's just insane. Um, And the reason that I say it's simpler is because we do just as much or frankly, even more editorial work on Cobra Kai than I've ever done on any other TV show. But because we are delivering the entire season as one chunk and then we hand it to Netflix and then they air it all at the same time, we essentially just extend the schedule. Mm -hmm. So as far as the amount of notes, the complexity of notes, I don't feel like I'm working on a TV show. I feel like I'm working on a 10 episode feature film. So it's much more complex, but we do have more time and less of that. uh, We've got an air date on Monday kind of pressure. Yeah. I mean, because of course you have worked on network TV, like sort of burn notice. You worked on Empire as well. I I did. I I was on the first uh, two seasons of Empire. Yeah. Yeah. I know um, Phil Eisler reasonably well because I've interviewed him a whole bunch of times. Mm -hmm. And and I know the turnaround on that got ridiculous at some points. Um, Yeah, that show was that was by far far the most challenging show that I ever worked on as far as logistics and schedule. Creatively, I loved it. The logistics and schedule were very overwhelming. Yeah. I remember him like, you know, it's the same sort of situation. It was like a, I think it was the night before it was due to go on uh-huh. air or something. And he, yeah, still he's, he, he pulled some amazing, amazing miracles on that show. It's like, well, we need to rescore this entire thing with a hundred piece orchestra and we need to have it ready by this afternoon so we can mix it tomorrow and air Monday. It's like, <laughs> okay, whatever. So yes. I don't know how he does what he does. Yeah. He is phenomenal. So, I mean, working on the on the show itself in terms of the actual scenes and things, are, are there any particular things that stand out to you in terms of scenes that were incredibly memorable to put together, uh, to, to cut or particularly difficult to do? Sure. I think that there it's first of all, this is like, you know, Sophie's choice having to choose my favorite scene. On <laughs> yes, of course. It's nearly impossible. But if I were to, to think about the three that really stand out the most um, that I had the opportunity to work on either as far as challenging or just the most rewarding. I would say the most challenging scene or scenes that I worked on were the two uh, fight sequences in the All Valley Tournament and the season four finale. Right. Yeah. Uh, As far as the most rewarding, I would say it's the final scene in season three where Johnny and Daniel finally come together. So as far as the most challenging, um, the amount of footage that I got for those two finals fight sequences was almost insurmountable. I've never seen anything like it before in 20 years of working in features and TV. And granted, I haven't worked on the Avengers or anything at that level, so I'm mm-hmm. sure they get more, but they also have more time and infinitely more money and more staff. Yeah. Um, but for anybody that doesn't know how they cover a scene, when they shoot a scene, every time they move the camera, they add a letter. It's called a setup. So 
wide shot is going to be, you know, scene 16. And then they move the camera to a close up 16 A, 16 B, et cetera, et cetera. So every time they change position to get different coverage, they add a letter. So the one scene just between Sam and Tori was up to set up B D, which means <laughs> they had to go through the alphabet twice. <laughs> And each setup had three cameras. So that was 57 camera setups with three cameras running on each setup. So when I started getting that material, I was sending all the red flags via Slack and email like I'm going to need more time. There is no (laughs) way that I can meet my deadline. Just watching the footage alone is going to take me longer than it's expecting you uh, for me to deliver to you to to send the finished cut. Mm -hmm. So that was incredibly challenging. And there was a lot of uh, a lot of work that I had to do to, in a way, rewrite some of the fight sequence because the choreographers on the show are amazing, but it's also real life. And there are things called gravity and long hours and, you know, everybody's not a machine. So there are certain points that sometimes don't quite hit the way that they wanted to, or they missed an angle. So essentially I have to rewrite the order of the choreography. Mm -hmm. So that was the most challenging sequence that I've ever worked on. Uh, The most rewarding one, like I said, was the one at the end of season three, where Johnny and Daniel finally come together. As far as cutting a scene itself, that was easy. It was very simple coverage. And Daniel walks out on the porch and the studio, Students walk into the backyard and Johnny walks in. The hard part was what is the piece of music that tells this story? Right. Because the, and this is where me being such a huge fan and wanting to protect the mythology of the series really comes into play. Um, so essentially, the the song that was written into the script, because sometimes the, the showrunners and the writers will write a song into the script. I didn't feel it was the right song. And again, we have the freedom to share our thoughts. So even before showing it to anybody, I just emailed the, uh, the director or writer of the episode And I said, I don't think this song is the right one. He's like, cool. You present what you think is the best one. We'll tell you if we agree or disagree. So I just felt this immense pressure because as a fan, I'm thinking it has been over 30 years that these two have been warring with each other. And it's always been this thing. They're finally coming together. What is the what is the song? What is the thing that just has this giant build up and build up? And all of a sudden the song explodes. I'm like, oh, I know what that is. It's like it's Phil Collins in the air tonight. (laughs) So I started doing a search for it. And as I was doing a search, I found another cover of it that sounded almost the same, but also had a lot of that kind of rock metal edge that Cobra Kai now has. So it was a blending of old and new. And I literally broke a sweat and my heart started to pound and I listened to it. I'm like, oh my God, I think this is the song. (laughs) And I was so nervous that when I cut in the scene, I literally was dripping sweat. I was so excited about this, but I said to my assistant, you got to come in here and watch this. Tell me if I'm crazy. Is this working? I don't know if this is working. I'm terrified to show this to them if it doesn't work. And he watched it and he's like, dude, that's the song. So one of our traditions on the show is that every season finale, we screen the very first editor's cut for the showrunners, which is very uncommon. Like they usually see later cuts after directors and other producers have worked Mm -hmm. through it. So it's a lot of pressure to show them your editor's cut. Mm -hmm. And I just remember for five minutes before hitting that final scene, like dripping in sweat, like, oh my God, I hope they like it. I hope they like it. I hope they like it. And then when it started to play, like you, you just know the first few notes and they were just like, Oh yeah. And then it built up and they're like, yes. And they were like (laughs) cheering in the room and they're like, that was awesome. And it stuck. So basically what you see in the final version of the season three finale is what I did in my editor's cut. That's amazing. Wow. That's awesome. It's such a phenomenal show. And as you mentioned before, you've got a whole bunch of other things that, I mean, you've, you've directed yourself as well as you did a a documentary, which uh, having just said, (laughs) you're not the biggest Star Wars fan, narrated by Mark Hamill. So (laughs) yes, well, uh, narrated by Mark Hamill, yes. 
Um, so yeah, that's a, that's an interesting story where, uh, without going too deep into it. Uh, yeah. So I uh, wrote, produced and directed a documentary, uh, that started as very much just a passion project for a very close friend of mine that had passed away. Hmm. And the short version of it is that I was at his uh, funeral service and, uh, I had known him for several years and had met him in college and he had muscular dystrophy. So he was a quadriplegic, could not use his arms and his legs. Um, and I just knew him as a friend of mine, mm-hmm. but during the funeral service, everybody started talking about all of these things that he had accomplished throughout his life. None of what you shared with me, cause he was very, very humble. Mm-hmm. And the short list is that he was the national poster child for muscular dystrophy. And for anybody that is roughly our age and older, they remember the labor day telethons and Jerry Lewis raising millions of dollars. And my friend, Christopher rush was by his side, traveling all over the country on camera with wow. him, raising these millions of dollars. Um, and amongst his other accomplishments, one of them was that he was the first quadriplegic to become a licensed scuba diver. <laughs> wow. And as I was sitting in the, the funeral service hearing all this, I remember thinking to myself, this story cannot end here. Mm-hmm. And then I started to think a little bit further and I looked around and I'm thinking, crap, it's going to have to be me, isn't it? I'm going <laughs> to be have to I'm going to have to be the one that tells the story because I'm the filmmaking friend. So that was the beginning of an eight year journey to tell his story. And one of Christopher's obsessions in life was Star Wars. Because the idea of the force is how he achieved what he did, because he's literally sitting in a chair, no arms, no legs. And he had to learn to to take his disability and turn it into a superpower. So he used his intellect to achieve everything that he achieved. So I am who I am today because of knowing him. The fact that I can embrace any challenge and I can find a way to frame it positively and I can go after really difficult goals is because of him, because if he can literally say, you know what, I can't use my arms or my legs. So go ahead and wait me down down and throw me in the ocean. Like imagine the amount of courage and trust that that takes. Like I, I have no excuses. Yeah. So as I was learning, he had this obsession with star Wars. I wanted to use star Wars to tell the, to tell his story. So I have multiple scenes from the movie, including the, the whole death star sequence. <laughs> and I remember as, as I was showing people early cuts, they're like, man, I loved all the star Wars stuff, but you're never going to get the rights to that. And I'm like, Oh yes, I will. They're like, no, you'll never get it. So not only did I get the rights to what's give or take about five minutes of Star Wars footage and John Williams score. (laughs) I got Mark Hamill to narrate in the voice of Christopher Rush. So his childhood hero who he tried to embody is the voice of Christopher Rush in this documentary. That's amazing. That's really quite astounding. It's uh, what's it called? Go far. The Christopher Rush story. Is yes. There. Go far. The Christopher Rush story. I used to be available on all digital platforms, but because the distributor that I use for all the digital distribution has gone on a business like many, many others have in this uh, period of time, yes. um, they can just go to gofarmovie.com and I have the whole thing available to watch for free. Oh, brilliant. Okay. I go and check that out. That's amazing. Um, the other thing, of course, which is is your your like other gig is the Optimize Yourself podcast, which is, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I was looking around the website for it. It's an incredible setup you've got for for just sort of optimize a whole bunch of things within your life, basically. I mean, do you, do you want to explain what it is? And then, yes, I'd be more than happy to. Uh, and I'll start by saying the same thing that I said to the uh, creators of Cobra Kai in my season four interview when they wanted to hire me to come back for season four and five. 
I said, I will come back if you understand that Cobra Kai is my side hustle. And they <laughs> laughed. And I said, no, I'm being serious. What I do for a living is I run the Optimize Yourself podcast and coaching program. This is my main priority. I'm going to give you everything else I've got. But Cobra Kai is my side hustle. And they left and they laughed and they said, all right, whatever it takes. We just want you to come back and work on the show with us. So Optimize Yourself is what I do for a living. And essentially, I work with creative professionals in a variety of professions, most of whom are in Hollywood would and do the similar work to what I do. But I work with people all over the world on six continents so I can help them design a more fulfilling creative career. However, they have to do it without sacrificing their health, their relationships or their sanity in the process. Mm -hmm. Because right now we have just devolved into this world where we are just all these machines and these widgets that are expected to produce 24 seven. And we almost have this cult like feeling of productivity. And as soon as we can't produce at the highest levels anymore, we become a replaceable widget and somebody else ends up doing the same job until they become burned out. And it's this endless cycle. So I'm teaching uh, creative people how they can build a more fulfilling career, which is not necessarily just resumes and websites and like all the machinations of learning your craft and your skills. It's also about learning how do I do it sustainably so I can move more at my desk so I can do it getting eight hours of sleep every night, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So like you said, I cover whole different um, areas when it comes to lifestyle, productivity, time management is uh, definitely an area of interest for me. And then most importantly, how do I build relationships with people? That's one of the biggest things for introverts, including myself that do creative work is I just want to sit in my room all day long and I want to do cool stuff and don't bother me. Right. <laughs> but it doesn't work that way. You're not going to get discovered magically. You have to put yourself out there. So I, I help all of the creative introverts out there that, uh, that want to figure out how do I do the work that I love for a living without it destroying me? Yeah, that's quite incredible. I mean, you know, you you mentioned the time management stuff there as well. And I mean, you've got a, a sign on the back, your back wall that says dad on it. So you're obviously a father, you've, you're an editor, you've got the optimize yourself stuff, just managing. And you also mentioned, I mean, it mentions on your website doing uh, stuff for American Ninja Warrior, which is, you know, the another thing you do. So, I mean, your time management must be pretty good at this point. I would have <laughs> yes, it's not, it's not pretty good. It's the number one thing that I prioritize. Yeah. Um, I was on a podcast uh, very similar to this one a week or two ago, uh, specifically run by editors. And they had said, what is the number one skill? If you're talking to editors all over the world, what's the number one skill that they need to practice to become better editors? And I said, it's time management. And they're like, I thought it was going to be like some plugin or Avid or Premiere trips, ticks, tr uh, tricks. And I'm like, no, you got to learn time management. And the reason that I can do all the things that I do and still get eight hours of sleep every single night is because I've become really, really good at prioritizing and organizing my time and my priorities. Priorities. Mm -hmm. So that was really the first skill that I started with, because years ago, especially when I was making go far, my life was a disaster. I mean, it was just a train wreck of a mess. Uh, one of the things that I talk about very openly with my podcast and my newsletter and my coaching program is that I was diagnosed with adult onset ADHD when I was about 25, which nice. just hit me like a ton of bricks because I, I was so organized and I was getting everything done. And my life was it just it all made sense. I was very regimented and disciplined. And then all of a sudden, I couldn't even pay my bills and do my laundry the same day. Like I would just stare at the wall with overwhelm and I didn't understand what was going on. So I had to learn time management from scratch. And once I better learned how to manage my time, then my creativity started to increase. My productivity started to increase. And I had all these other things that I wanted to do. And I learned how to quote unquote, find time to do them. Mm -hmm. That's one of the, the misnomers about time is everybody says, well, I can't find it. You're not going to because it's not hiding. It's right there on your calendar. It is the one 
equalizer. We all get 24 hours a day and seven days a week. So it's not about finding time. It's about how do I prioritize it according to my values? So for me, I value my creative work. I value my coaching program. I value my family and I value my training for American Ninja Warrior. Those are the four things you're going to find on my calendar. You're not going to find a lot of other things that interfere with those. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's very true. I mean, you know, looking through your IMDb stuff, you've worked on a whole bunch of different things, but it's, it's been very much sort of, you've been very selective in what you've, you've picked. And, you know, that seems to be a very deliberate choice in your case. Very much so. Yeah. One of the most important things that I teach the students in my coaching program is the power of the word no. Most people that do creative work, they say yes, job after job after job after job. And then they eventually get to the point where they ask, how in the world did I get here? I'm Mm -hmm. pigeonholed doing this one thing. How did this happen? It's because they continue to say yes to every job over and over. And the reason is usually because of the fear of saying no, either you're going to burn bridges or you're not going to be able to pay the bills, whatever that reason might be. They're afraid to say no. What I've always wanted to do is if you go to IMDb, you can see everything that I've said yes to. It's very clear. I wish there were an IMDb or a website that had a list of all the credits I said no to. Because you look at some of those and you're like, were you crazy? Why would you have turned that down? But if I had said yes to those things, I would have said no to Cobra Kai or I would have said no to my family or I would have said no to being able to build a coaching program and host a podcast. So if you want to be able to really direct and control the the uh, direction of your career, you have to be willing to say no to the wrong things. Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, I, that very much resonates with me. I mean, I because I, I do this full time. I run primarily the website the podcast as well and all that stems of me coming to saying no to somebody because i was a web developer for 20 years pretty much from the start of when the web became a thing i was just burnt out from it and mm-hmm. you know, 20 years doing the same thing and it wasn't what i wanted to do anymore and i just like no <laughs> it's one of those things that it was the best thing i've ever done because yep. and uh you you uh, interchange the words web developer with editor or composer or writer Writer, those are the stories that I hear all day, every day, because I'm sure that as a web developer, it was long hours in front of a computer mm-hmm. sitting there not very good health, not getting out and uh, exercising too much. Lots of pressure, lots of stress, crazy deadlines. Um, and I feel like that's becoming the norm for how most people work nowadays. Um, and I'm sure it was scary to say no, but I bet you look back now and you're like, I can't even imagine if I'd said yes and I were still doing that. Um, and having that, the, having the courage to say no to something when you know in your gut that it's the wrong decision, that's usually where life starts to change for the better, but it's really scary to make that, uh, that choice, which is why after working on Cobra Kai for several seasons and saying, this is my side hustle and it not being a joke, that was kind of scary because mm-hmm. I love Cobra Kai, but I knew I wasn't going to sacrifice my priorities to continue doing that job. And I'm fortunate enough that the people that I work with really trust me and know that I can manage my time. So essentially, they're like, as long as you hit your deadlines, you disappear. You need to take your meetings. You need to coach your students. We don't care. Hit your deadlines and give us good work and you can have all the freedom in the world. So it's yeah. it really is the, the perfect marriage for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It must be wonderful for them as well, having somebody who knows this property inside and out be so passionate about, you know, editing something like mm-hmm. that as well. So, I mean, you know, I'm glad that it sounds like they're, they're a really solid, well thought through team that works over there. So I'd yeah, certainly- I've, I've never worked for people that I love working with more that drive me more crazy. <laughs> so it's the and I think that they would agree with that. I'm certainly not saying it behind their backs because we all feel the same way. Like they're so intensely passionate about 
about this. So we will we never have arguments. We have very passionate discussions about how we want to approach a training montage or a piece of music. We, we, there's never any disrespect on the show. And very rarely have I been at this level on Hollywood shows where there isn't some level of disrespect or egos that get in the way. There's none of that. But there are very heated discussions about what well, we should be using. That. Well, here we should use this clip instead from the Karate Kid. And like it's we it's it's just, you know, basically a bunch of geeks that just absolutely love this property that want to make the best version possible. So, yeah, it's 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 a great working environment. Yeah. If that's what you're arguing over and not over, you know, some sort of random crap about sort of. Yeah. No, Bible. we don't have to argue about work politics or any of that other crap. It's just this is what I think is the best version. This is what I think is the best version. And the one of the main reasons I joined the program in the first place is because I had this conversation in the interview where I said, I believe the best idea wins. I don't care whose idea it is. I don't care if I'm working late at night and the janitor comes rolling by with their cart and they pop their head in. They're like, you should use a wide shot instead of a close up. If I look at it and they're right and like, yep, your idea is better. I don't care where that idea comes from. And they felt the same way because I can't stand it when I work for a showrunner or an executive or somebody at the studio that says do it this way and they can't explain why it's better. They just need to get their thumbprint on it and show their Mm -hmm. authority. I just I can't handle that kind of environment. So that's uh, that's one of the things I never have to worry about on this show. No. And it's clearly worked because we're five seasons in. It's a phenomenally successful show for, uh, you know, Netflix. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it come back. It's brilliant. A couple of last questions for you. Mm -hmm. The first question is, what TV shows are you watching at the moment or have watched recently? Yes. So there's without question, the show I recommend everybody sees immediately. Whatever you're doing right now, drop it and go watch Severance on Apple TV. Yes. Severance (laughs) is easily the best show that has come out in years. I was absolutely blown away by it so much so that uh, Shameless Plug actually wrote an extensive article all about Severance and not necessarily a review of it, but a deep understanding and a warning about how this isn't just a dystopian future of our workplace, we're kind of already there. Mm -hmm. So I was so passionate about it. I watched the whole season twice and had to write about just how brilliant and uh, just, you know, just the the way that it's really portraying all of the the challenges that we have with our present work culture. And um, but yeah, Severance is by far my number one recommendation for anybody looking for a new show. Yeah, I would wholeheartedly agree. I think it's brilliant. And yes, I can see why you'd write an article about it because it fits so much into all the stuff that you're doing with the, the optimize yourself things. Yeah. And I, by the way, I stumbled on it. I had no idea what it was. Now people are hearing about it because the awards and everything else. It mm-hmm. was in like episode two or three because Apple still does the weekly release. Yeah. And I just finished uh, Cobra Kai season five, totally exhausted. And I was just going to veg out in front of the TV. I'm like, oh, what's this? And an hour later, I'm like, oh, my God, this is perfect. This is <laughs> like it's everything that I talk about with creativity and with TV, but also with burnout and all the things that we're dealing with um, in the entertainment industry and toxic work cultures and like oh my god this is like this is the the silver bullet to all of it yeah um, so i just i lost my mind when i discovered it yeah it, it is a phenomenal phenomenal tv show and lastly if you had the opportunity to work on any tv show it can be something historical from the past something else that's present day or some sort of future genre that maybe you haven't worked in yet what would it be um i'm going to give you two answers to this one of which i think is probably a, a relatively popular answer um which is i would give any 
anything to go back and work on Breaking Bad because Breaking Bad, I think, is <laughs> yes. if not the best, one of the top three shows ever made. Um, but it's not just about being part of something historic that that's good that is that good. It's a show that it's it's very much up my alley and my style and my taste, and mm-hmm. um, especially with the complexity of a lot of their montages, that's totally my thing. Yeah. But I would say that the less popular choice, which is actually probably my favorite TV series, is The Shield on FX. Right. I yes. absolutely loved The Shield, and that's a show that uh, had I entered the industry 10 years earlier, probably would have been the one that I pursued the way that I pursued Burn Notice or Cobra Kai, where mm-hmm. had I seen even a little bit of it, I would have done everything possible to get my way on that show. But by the time I discovered it and was watching it, um, I think it was either already done or it was in its final season. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. I mean, yeah, The Shield, uh, I know it sort of. I, it's one of those that I need to go back and watch because I know how brilliant it is and, and that sort of stuff. Breaking Bad, of course. I mean, yes, that's come up a few times. Better Call Saul is, is a stunning piece of work as well. I love And I actually just thought of one more that just came to me that uh, is from uh, your side of the pond, which is Bodyguard on Netflix. Oh, yes. Yeah. Fantastic show. Yeah, that was a phenomenal piece of work. I mean, all pretty much all Jed Bakuria stuff is, is incredibly impressive. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that was particularly good. Some great choices there. And very much looking forward to seeing the next season of Cobra Kai come out. It's been a wonderful, wonderful show. What's the web address for the Optimize Yourself um, podcast? Where's, where yep, can people Pretty simple. Out? It is optimizeyourself.me.me. Okay, cool. So go and check that out as well, because there's lots of brilliant stuff on there for you for people to go and yep, check. And it's available on all the podcast platforms. Just do a search for my name or Optimize Yourself. It's on you know Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, Google, all, all the regular places. But yeah, so go and check that out as well. It's been wonderful talking to you. It's really, really interesting. You do some amazing, amazing stuff and hopefully get to talk to you at some point to get in the future. Maybe about. I um, definitely hope so. I appreciate you taking the time. It means a lot. Thank you. No worries. No worries at all. Have an awesome day. I will. You too. Cheers. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.